This is different tonight. It's going to be different. I have spent approximately four weeks praying for this message, this service. I have spent time listening to God and studying. And I believe that there is going to be a spirit of revelation in this room that's going to affect some of your lives permanently in this life and then your eternity. I'm a... God doesn't have to explain to me why he does stuff, but I want to know how it works. I want to know how it works. I want to know how it works for my benefit, then I want to know how it works so I can explain it to somebody else. So everything I will be teaching tonight is things that God has given me over the years for me. And I'm making this statement Ahead of time, you can just do with it what you want. These are things that God has already worked out in my life, and I am practicing them every day. But as he gives me more understanding of them, I am maturing in each one of these things and growing in them and learning as he is teaching me. And I want to be able to do that so that so that uh, I can... Uh, teach others I do not I am not of the opinion of some old folks well I had to learn it the hard way let them learn it the hard way that's not the purpose of the teaching ministry the teaching ministry is for the purpose of taking what you've learned the hard way and teaching somebody else how to learn it in easy way so that they don't so they can then focus on something else and learn stuff that you haven't learned so, if you'll put it on the screen for me, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And uh, I realize that even in Antioch, sometimes we have this tradition of custom of standing and showing honor to the Word of God. And so I will say to you, you're welcome to stand while I read this scripture. And since every scripture I'll be reading tonight is of equal importance, then you're going to stand for every scripture I read. So you stand for them all or you stand for none of them. Because the ones I read at the beginning are not near as important as the ones I'm going to be reading at the end. They're all important scriptures, but in the context, uh, these scriptures only introduce the subject. They are not the meat of the subject. So I, I don't have a problem with people standing to honor the Word of God as long as they're going to honor the Word of God every time it's read. I think it's totally inconsistent and nothing but an act of tradition to stand at the beginning and sit the rest of the time. And I really honestly wouldn't have any problem with someone that stood every time I read the, read the Scripture. And since I've got so many Scriptures tonight, you might as well just stand with me the whole time. Now, I really like the way that they did it in the, in the Bible. The people stood and the person speaking sat. But I don't have any faith for making that work today. I have no faith for that at all. So, in Jesus' name, Hebrews 13 and 5 says, Let your conversation be with that. This is King James Version. 
Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I'm going to read three different translations of this in addition to the King James. Young's literal translation says this way, Without covetousness, the behavior, being content with the things present. For he hath said, No, I will not leave, no, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is to me a helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. The Rotherham emphasized Bible that's one I don't think I've used in the pulpit before, but have used frequently in my studies here since I got the Olive Tree app. Reads this way. Without fondness for money, be your way of life, being content with the present things. For he hath said, in no wise thee will I leave. No indeed, in no wise thee will I forsake. So that, taking courage, we may be saying, The Lord hasteth to my cry. I will not be put in fear. What shall man do unto me? And then finally, we, the, the expanded translation of the New Testament, uh, that's W-U-E-S-T. Uh, Let your manner of life be without love of money, being satisfied with your present circumstances. For he himself hath said, and the statement is on record, I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. So that being of good courage, we are saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What shall man do unto me? You notice the punctuation's a little different there. And, uh, and, and uh, if you go to uh, Young's literal translation, you'll also see that uh, it, it, is, it doesn't read well because he's trying to translate the Greek very literally. Praise God. I will try it one more time. Without, con- without covetousness, the behavior, my behavior, uh, the King James uses the word uh, conversation, but in 1611, that meant much, much more than simply what I talk about. It means my entire lifestyle. So both these trans- all three of these translations let you understand that's the case. Without controversy, the behavior, the lifestyle should be being content with the things present. For he had said... No, I will not leave, no, nor forsake thee. Now, Weiss also really does its best to try to give, give the full flavor of the Greek. And so, he is literally translating every word in the Greek. I'm reading it again. Let your manner of life be without love of money, being satisfied with your present circumstances. For he himself has said... And the statement is on record, I will not. Now this is literally translated from the Greek. I will not, 
I will not cease to, to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. The Greek literally has the negative, his negative declaration about he will not let you down three times. Three times. It's that firm. It's that specific. So that being of good courage, we are saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what shall... And let me read that again. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Period. What shall man do to me? Question mark. It's, it's, the Greek is not literally, I will, uh, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Greek is literally, I will not fear. What shall man do unto me? Now, the title of this uh, lesson, message, whatever you want to call it, is a strengthened life or an empowered life. Where does a strengthened life begin? Where? What does it start with? It starts right here. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What does that mean? Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, I've been in the United Pentecostal Church all my life. But I'm going to teach you this right now. Okay? I'm going to teach you. You are not righteous because you do right. You cannot become righteous because you do right. So, here's the question. What is a right relationship with the Father? What is it? What is a right relationship with the Father? What does it mean to be righteous? Question. What is wrong righteousness? What is right righteousness? Oh, there's, there's only one righteousness. Wrong. I'm going to prove to you in a few moments. Scripturally, there are several types of righteousness. And only one of those is acceptable with God. In the Old Testament... You had to be righteous by keeping the law. Slight problem. There's a slight problem with keeping the law and being righteous by keeping the law. We fail. And he that offends in one point of the law is guilty of all the law. And since the root definition of the word righteousness in the Greek, Sister Wright, first time I've quoted the Greek, is innocent, once I become guilty... I cannot become innocent by doing right or doing good. Nobody commits a crime, gets tried and sent to jail or prison, serves their time and comes out now innocent. You don't become innocent by serving your time. You're just as guilty after you serve your time as you are before you serve your time. 
So the, the problem is this. How can I be righteous? If the Bible teaches that if I offended one point of the law, I'm guilty of all the law. Now I'm guilty. And no amount of right or good I do makes me innocent again or righteous again. What do I do? What do I do? How do I become righteous if I've ever sinned? Ever sinned? Because if I've ever sinned one time, I'm no longer righteous by my own deeds and will never be righteous by my deeds ever again. Ever again. And yet, Jesus said, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Filled with what? How can I hunger and thirst after something I can never have? Because I've committed a sin and now I'm guilty. And once you're guilty, you can't fix being guilty by doing right. And I've used this illustration before here and many places. If I get out on Ritchie Highway and determine that I'm going to take that that navigator and see just how far I can bend that uh, speed uh, indicator... Just see how fast it'll go. There won't be one policeman chasing me. It won't be long till there'll be a bunch of them. And when they pull me over and put that gun in my face, I'm going to say, what's, what's the problem, officer? I treat my wife good. I try to be a good father and grandfather. I, 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 I pay my taxes. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't hurt anybody and killed anybody. What are you pulling me over for? We're not pulling you over for all the stuff you didn't do. But the law says it's 50. And double that is not acceptable. Where did we get that principle in our legal system? We got it out of the Bible. That's why, though some countries have done this and still do this, we don't cut off a man's hand for stealing a loaf of bread because he's hungry. Because the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Now I realize, and I don't want to get off in this, I realize that humans can pervert the system. But if the system was worked like it's supposed to work with fairness and justice for everybody, the punishment would always fit the crime. But if you're a famous movie star and you, you commit a felony, you can only go to jail. You can go to jail for 14 days and you pay your crime like that. I didn't want to get into that, so I'll get away from it right now. Praise God. And if you don't know about that, God bless you. I wish I didn't. So what, what do I do if I'm supposed to be hungering and thirsting after righteousness? What do I do when I can no longer be righteous? Well, here's what humanity does. Humanity resorts to, we, we want to forget we did that. Now we, we want to be righteous by doing right. So we try really hard, really, really, really hard. And the greatest curse you could have is to be successful at that for any length of time. Show me somebody that has time to pick apart somebody else's life and lifestyle and I'll show you the most self-righteous person going. Because if you are 
being honest with yourself about yourself in the presence of God, you don't have time to find fault with somebody else. You don't have time. And to sit around and talk about somebody else's problems, implying you don't have any? Seriously? Oh, Jesus, this is going to be a positive. This is very positive. So I'm going to stay positive. Praise God. How do we get this righteousness that will fill us completely? Where does it come from? How do we get it? Why is it important? I'm going to say this to you tonight. (laughs) The only hope of you and I truly being faithful unto the end and being saved because 1 Peter chapter 1 says we should receive we the, the the goal is to receive the end or the completion of our faith even the salvation of our souls i think that's 1 Peter 1 9 once you put it up there where they can read it and i realize that's not in the notes and that won't be the first time or last time tonight that we are we 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 are receiving the end not the not the finish the, the final point, but the finishing, the completion of our faith is what the Greek word there is. The finishing of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. That's why the book says judge nothing before the time. You look and see somebody that looks and acts like they're saved. Well, that's wonderful, but we haven't got to the end yet. You look and see somebody that doesn't look or act like they're saved. <sighs> We're not at the end yet. We're not at the end yet. Oh, praise God. So, we don't do right to be righteous. We do right because we've been made righteous. It is only after I receive righteousness from God, that righteousness becomes the foundation of my life and it becomes the empowerment for me to do what's right. Because I cannot do it myself. I can't do it myself. I can't. Any right thing that I do without having first received His righteousness as a gift and being submitted to the righteousness of God as the rule, is self-righteousness. Now, I, uh, I was raised in the church, but I was very addicted to drugs. One drug. One drug. It was, it's the most addictive drug there is. Whew. Most of the people I went to church with were very addicted to that same drug. Self-righteousness. It's the most addicting drug in the church. Because we do certain things and others don't do them. And we, do, we act certain ways and others don't act that way. And, and, and so we look at them because they're not us. That's called self-righteousness. 
Because Jesus said, if I judge others, I'm going to be judged. If I condemn others, I'm going to be condemned. So if I sow mercy, I'm going to reap mercy. If I sow judgment, I'm going to reap judgment. That's why one of the most challenging things for any man of God is to communicate the word, especially when that word is corrective or uh, rebuking, which the scripture says we're to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And, and, and the most difficult thing to do is to be a mouthpiece w- with God without people thinking that you're setting yourself up as the example. I'm an example. I am an example. I'm an example of the shed blood of Jesus. I'm an example of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ because I don't have any of my own. I'm an, a, an example of the empowerment of Jesus. To enable the peop- a person to do what they cannot do themselves. I am an example. But I'm not on some pedestal. I'm not holier than thou. I'm not better than anybody in the room. I need the same blood, same Holy Ghost, same name, same word, same spirit as everybody else in the room. And then, of course, some of us sit here and go, but brother, right? I know you've never done the things I've done. Oh, that's right. So there's a grading system on this, right? So if you tell a little lie, that's not so bad. But you tell a big lie that you can't be forgiven. Really? Really? Seriously? So there's, <laughs> there's venial sins and there are mortal sins. Isn't that what some have been taught here? You know that terminology? I'll, that's the only thing I'll do is use that terminology. I won't identify the source. Venial sins means they're not, they're not unto death. You know, you, you confess them, but you, you're really not going to suffer any bad, bad punishment from them. But now the sins that are unto death, mortal sins. Woo, you're in trouble with them. You better try to take care of those quick. That's not in the Word of God. So... Let's talk just, just real quickly. i got some scriptures I want to share with you. What's the importance of righteousness? How about Romans 14, 17? For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You know what you, you, know what you find when you really study the subject? That righteousness is the foundation of everything. No wonder the devil wants to imitate it. No, no wonder the, the flesh wants to try to create its own righteousness so it doesn't have to submit to the righteousness of God. Because <laughs> righteousness is being right. Anybody here want to be wrong? We all want to be right. But right with whom? Right with me, right with you, right with myself, right with you, or right with God? Right with society, right with our current culture, or right with God? It's not all the same. In fact, it's quite different, you see. Because what our world says is right or righteous is not what the Word of God says is right or righteous. 
And then I'm reading again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and the, God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of whom are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Who are we in Christ Jesus? We are those he, to whom he has been made our righteousness. The scripture teaches... That we are not saved by our righteousness, but the Lord's righteousness. Romans chapter 5 verse 13. And not as it was, and not as it was by one that, uh, that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you don't have that? Romans chapter 5. It was next in the order. Romans 5. I want them to read this. 17. Thank you. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the what? The what? If I'm trying to be right by what I do, I'm trying to earn a reward. Not receive a gift. Righteousness is a gift. It is not a reward. You cannot earn a reward from God. So I'm reading that verse again. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, and much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came unto all men to to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. Now, I'll just bring this to you quickly. Go back to the last verse, please. The, 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 most of the words that are translated either just, justify, or justification and right, righteous, or righteousness are all in the exact same Greek family of words. They all come from the same Greek root word. So I will say this again later. Justification is the process. Righteousness is the product. If righteousness means innocence, then it is justification that takes me from guilt and makes me innocent. And how am I justified? By the life and the blood and the death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's called the gospel. And by my faith in the gospel and my obedience to the steps of the gospel, I am justified. And the process of justification makes me righteous. And since he was the one that was innocent and paid the price for my guilt, then the only righteousness I can possibly receive is his righteousness. Because he's the innocent one. I'm the guilty one. And if he took my guilt upon himself and died for it, then he gave me my his innocence. His innocence. 
This is not there, and I'm not asking you to put it on the screen, but Isaiah 61 and 10 talks about the fact that we are given a robe of righteousness. It was uh, September of 2012, I think it was. No, it wasn't. It's 2016, I believe it was. I was in California ministering, and, and uh, I'm sitting in, in, in my hotel room praying and studying, and I just, find, I just said, Lord, what am I doing here? Me, why am I here? Am I the best you've got to do this? And in his kindness and patience with me, he said, What do I see when I look at you? I don't know. I'm hoping there's stuff you don't see. He said, as long as you're wearing my righteousness as a garment, when I look at you, all I see is my righteousness. But what about all this stuff I know about me? He said, I promised you I would forgive your sins And remember them no more. And when I cover you with my righteousness, I don't look past it. But why do I remember it? Because I want you to remember what I've done for you. And not take the credit for what I do through you. He said, you remember stuff I don't remember. And the adversary remembers it too, but I don't. Because he's not looking at my righteousness. Just like you, he's looking past my righteousness. But me, your God, when I look at you, as long as you're wearing my righteousness, I don't see anything but my righteousness. And he said, anybody that is wearing my robe of righteousness is the best I've got. And whatever I ask them to do, they're the best I've got to do it because of my righteousness covering them and my spirit in them. Psalms 32 and 1, you don't have to put this on the screen. I'm going to quote it because I don't want you to lose your place. Psalms 32 and 1, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. That's quoted in Romans chapter 4 when it says, but it's in Romans 4 it's quoted this way, Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin is covered. You see, this is what flesh does. Flesh not only can't ignore its own sin, but it won't ignore anybody else's sin either. And since i got to live with my sin, I'm going to remind everybody of all the sins I know of you. But love covers a multitude of sins. And the righteousness of God being given to me as a gift is the love of God to me. It's His love. Why? How was that love? How was the righteousness provided? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the love of God. The love of God did that for me. I couldn't require that. I couldn't demand that of Him. His love caused Him 
self to clothe himself in human flesh and make that flesh a sacrifice. And before he could be my sacrifice, you know, that baby in the manger could have died right then and been innocent, but it wouldn't have been a sacrifice. Why? Because that man, the human part of him, had to live at a long enough period of time where he could not only, uh, where he would face the temptation to sin. Jesus couldn't have sinned, then the Bible's a lie. Because the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Why? He had to go through that testing to, to have verifiable innocence that could be offered in the place of my guilt. He had to. You think we're here practicing a religion? God have mercy. You don't have a clue. I don't mean that unkindly, but you don't have a clue. You think we're here practicing a religion? We're here having received the greatest gift that a human being can possibly get. God's own righteousness paid for by the only blood he ever had, which was the blood in the body of the man who was the visible representation of the eternal God forever. The only part of God you have ever seen or or you, you could see or ever will see is the man Christ Jesus who is the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1. He's the, in, the, the image of the invisible God. But, but Hebrews 10 says that he was, he was the prepared sacrifice. But he was only the sacrifice after he'd lived 30 years of temptation. After he turned 30, he became, he went, he went into his ministry. That's when John the Baptist saw him coming right after, sometime after his 30th birthday. And John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Because when he showed up at John's ministry and had John baptize him, what was the reason? John said, No, 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 I can't baptize you. I have need of you to baptize me. And what did Jesus say? It behooves me to fulfill all righteousness. Why? Because he was flesh. And all flesh has to be baptized. You and I have to be baptized to, to be, to, to have our sins washed away. He would have become a sinner if he hadn't have been baptized. Because the word of God required it. But John says, behold. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He lived 30 years. We don't know what happened between the ages of 12 and 30. We don't know. Last time we see him, he's in the temple just debating scripture with the doctors of the law. That's not the the, uh, secular law. It's a spiritual law. We don't see anything about him from 12 to 30. And the next time we see him, he's showing up at John's baptism place. Why? Because during that period of time, here's what we do know was taking place. Hebrews chapter 5, I believe it's verse 8 or 9. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. One thing we know he suffered was his his stepfather, his adoptive father, but well actually his legal father, because he because Joseph was married to Mary when when Jesus was born, he was the legal father of Jesus. 
of the man Christ Jesus. We know that happened. He, he had to become the breadwinner of the family because he was the eldest child and the dad passed away. He inherited the carpenter shop and all the load of taking care of his family and all of his siblings. He had to do all that. And he did that till he turned 30. And in that period of time, the book says, he was tempted in all points like as, like as we are, yet without sin. Now, there are some per- perverts that want to say that he had some kind of relationship with Mary Magdalene. That is so ridiculously unbiblical, it's, it's, it would be laughable if it wasn't such blasphemy. But I got a question. He's a 20-year-old man. He's a 25-year-old man. He's a 29-year-old man. All of his relatives, all of his friends are all getting married, and that's not his place in life. He's going to have a bride one day, but not, not a natural bride. If he was tempted in all points yet, like as we are yet without sin, there had to be some human desires in there to have a companion. But he chose not to do that. He chose not to do that. So the point being here is, <laughs> righteousness is the foundation of everything. In fact, I'm going to cover here in a few moments. If you don't have the gift of righteousness, whatever separation you have is not holiness at all. At all. Because righteousness is the foundation. And the Greek word, I mean the King James word is actually used true holiness. Righteousness is the foundation of true holiness. Well, if there's a true holiness, guess what there is? A false and what is false holiness? When I'm trying to be separated to be righteous. When I'm doing those things to try to earn or deserve something from God. Yes, we have leadership requirements here. They're not holiness standards. They will never be called holiness standards because they are leadership requirements. Because you cannot impose holiness. To even think you can, tr- can impose holiness proves how absolutely ignorant you are of the subject. And it also means you don't know anything about righteousness either. Because if you understood righteousness, you'd know you can't impose holiness. You can't impose it. Why? Because you can't require a person to do right so they can be righteous. That's Old Testament. Don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, do this. Well, let me tell you something. There's more right and wrongs in the New Testament than the Old. But they're not in there for you to keep them. They're in there to let you know how you're doing in your righteousness and holiness. My car's got several gauges. Most of yours do too. I got a speedometer, I got a tachometer, I got an engine oil gauge, I got an engine temperature gauge, I got a fuel tank gauge. 
none of those things make any of those things happen. They're only indicator of, indicators of what is happening. The speedometer's not making me go 75 miles an hour. It's only saying, hey, you're going 75 miles an hour. And the, and the, the, the thou shalt and the thou, thou shalt nots of the New Testament are not there for you to keep them as rules. They are there to indicate to you how you're doing with your righteousness. Because the more I'm living a strengthened, empowered life, the less I do those things. I don't want to get off in that, but Galatians chapter 5, let me tell you something right now, gives you a list, of, a two lists, works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. Show me anywhere in the Greek or the English or any other language where God said either one of those were lists, don't do and do. No. These are works of the flesh. If you're doing these things, you're living according to the flesh, not the Spirit. If these things are manifesting in your life, you're not producing them. You're not producing them. You're not producing them. You're not producing them. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read verse 17 or 21 for time's sake, not in between. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How in the world is that possible? Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the only way it's possible. I've been places where preachers preach 2 Corinthians 5.17 as some edict. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if you're not perfect, you are in bad shape. Are you kidding me? You kidding me? Such ignorance. That's ignorance. It's ignorance of the word of God. It's ignorance of the ways of God. It's ignorance of the principles of God. I'm not the one that can make me brand new. I'm not the one that can do away with my past. I can't do that. God has to do that. But I have to cooperate. How do I cooperate? Not like you think. Some of you think we cooperate by trying hard. Right, yeah, try hard. Go right ahead. I love for people to try hard because the harder you try, the more you're going to fail. And the more you fail, you're going to come to a place where you'll finally have to make a decision. Either I can do this, which I can't, or I've got to let God do it through me, which he will if I let him. Hey, let me tell you something. Nobody's working on your failure more than God. Not to get you past it, but to get you to fail. He doesn't make you fail. He just puts you in situations where he knows if you're trusting in yourself to be righteous, you're not going to succeed. God does that? Absolutely he does. Absolutely he does. Yes, he does. Why? Because as long as you're trying, you're not letting him empower you to do what's right. As long as you're trying. Now, problem is, (laughs) I've said this many times, you know, 
All of us collectively are, whether male or female, are part of the bride of Christ. All of us individually, whether male or female, are sons of God. And my wife and I raised two sons. She did most of the raising. But, uh, you know, it never, it never ceased to amaze me. And I thought it was just the first one until I found out the second one was just as bad. They can't walk, so you're holding them up by the hand. And you're, you're dragging them, but they think they're doing it. And then you get this number. And you look down and go, kid, what is your problem? Do you not understand the only reason you're standing and walking, quote unquote, is because I'm holding you up? You want, you want to do this yourself? Enjoy yourself. What happens? Wham! And you know what they do? They look up at you with that, those eyes that are accusing you. What did you do? I did what you wanted me to do. I turned loose so you could do it yourself. You know the person that's, that's the least shocked over my sin and failure? You know the, the one that is the least shocked over my sin and failure? Not me. Not the pastor. Not my wife. Not my husband. Not my kids. Not my parents. The one is the least surprised over my failure is God. Because He knows if I do it by the way the flesh tries to do it, I'm going to fail. The sooner the better. The sooner the better. Woe be to the people that are led by a person who's still trying hard. I know because there's people sitting here that survived me like that. Because I was trying hard. And in trying hard, I put a pressure on everybody else to try hard. I didn't know any better. And I'm very hard-headed. And God's the only one that's capable of knocking that out of me. And he made a career of it. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Still does if I don't watch out carefully. So I have to check my attitude spirit every day. Am I doing this myself, for myself, by myself? So that he'll brag on me? If I am, oh, it's right around the corner. If it's not already around the corner staring me in the face, I'm about to blow it. And does it matter whether I blow it big or small? It's all the same to God. It all proves that I'm doing it myself. (laughs) Oh, praise God. i got to move on here because this is the introduction. (laughs) Selah. Romans 10, 3.10, I'm skipping down if you want to do that. It's quick. I'll be finished by the time you get it up there. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. None, nobody, nobody. In or out of the church is righteous through themselves. Nobody, 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 nobody. Nobody is righteous through themselves. Nobody. Then Isaiah chapter six, uh, chapter sixty four, verse six says, "But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. His righteousness is a robe of a, a, a pure, clean robe of covering. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. 
And we, are all, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. There is none that calleth upon thy name, that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Let me tell you something right now, friend. I don't, realize, I don't know what, why you think you're sitting here tonight, but you can't take the credit for it. He put it in your heart to come. There's people not here that he put in their heart to come. They didn't come. That's between him and them. But you didn't just show up here. If you pray, you can't take the credit for it. If you don't pray, you get all the blame. Why? Because there's not going to be a day of your life. He's not willing to both give you the desire to pray and the, to empower you to pray. So if I don't pray, I am resisting his attempts to empower me to do that. Now, here we are. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Good. Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. Now, this is talking about the Jews then, but I'm talking about too many Christians today. Ignorant of God's righteousness. And since we're ignorant of God's righteousness, we go about to establish our own righteousness because we're not willing to submit to God's righteousness. What, is, what does it mean to submit to God's righteousness? To fully acknowledge and believe, I can't do this myself. I can't do this myself. If I don't acknowledge that, then I'm not submitted to the righteousness of God. If I'm still trying hard, and boy, let me tell you something. I had pastors that preached that all the time. Try hard. you got to try harder. Well, I'm struggling. Then try harder. Or try harder and pray more. And if I come back and say, I'm still struggling, literally. Then they would say, well, pray more and try harder. And some of you are frustrated out of your mind. Because you don't know what to do. I'm doing the best I can. You're right. You are. But it's not good enough. No. And it's never going to be good enough. And so what do you do? You finally submit to God and say, I can't do this myself. I can't be righteous myself. So if you've got another plan, bring it on. I give up. I want your way. Mine's not working. It's the most difficult thing about pastoring. Well, I don't think that's hyperbole. It's if it's not, it's, it's, there's one A, one B, one C, one D, one E, one Z. But <laughs> this one's very difficult. When you're preaching or teaching to a mixed group of people, and what I mean by mixed is you have brand new people who don't know anything about God. They're just excited to death over what just happened to them. And they feel so clean and, and forgiven. And then finally the load of guilt and shame is, or the load of guilt and sin is gone. And, and it's a brand new life. They don't know anything about it yet, but it's a brand new, well, it's awesome, it's awesome. And you got the folks that, 
They've been around long enough, and now they're trying to do what they have heard they're expected to do, and they're trying hard. They're trying hard, really hard. And then you got the folks that have given up. They just, if they haven't left, they've left spiritually, not physically. They come and sit, just sit, can't move them, can't do anything. And then you got the group. I don't care what you preach. If you preached against bank robbery, they'd be down the altar repenting. If you preached against mass murders, they'd be the first one coming down to repent. It doesn't matter what you preach. They're going to come repent for it just to make sure. And you preach your guts out and there's such conviction in the house and you give an altar call. And that's the disappointing thing is you actually have to give one of those instead of people responding to God. But whatever. And, and you, you know who you've been talking to. You know who the Holy Ghost has been talking to. And who gets up and comes down the aisle of just tears running down their face. You go, what are you doing? What are you doing? What? Do you realize you are, you're, you're distracting those because you're letting those folks shovel the conviction onto you? God's talking to them, but because you responded like that, they're saying, well, he wasn't talking to me, he was talking to them. Well, then, it, every service you're talking to them, because they're coming to the altar every service, period, end of story, it's going to happen. And just between me and you, don't ever stop that. If that's one of you, do it. Because let me tell you something, friend. One thing I've learned is when you're truly sincere, you take everything personal first. You take everything toward yourself first. You lay self before it all first and say, now, Lord, if this is me, deal with me. I want to be forgiven. I want to be changed. And you don't move on to helping somebody else till you deal with you first. But you see, that's the problem, okay? I understand that with some of you, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Not because of, it's not talking about natural intelligence, because the natural mind can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Because this is all so new to you. What is he talking about? You may feel a witness in your spirit. Well, this is true, but I don't know what he's talking about. But then you, you know, then there are others that are. You know, you, you, you're talking, but they don't want to hear it because that's not the way they're doing it, and they don't want they they they're not ready to give up on themselves. And then there are those uh, that really are able to receive right now what you're doing, what you're saying, what God is saying. And you know, you just hear from Him and speak what He gives you to speak, and leave all of that to Him, right? Here's what the word submit means. I'm going to give you the full definition. Strong says it means to arrange under, to subordinate, to subject, put in subjection, to subject oneself, to obey, to submit to one's control, to yield to. It is a Greek military term that means to arrange troops or divisions in a military faction under the command of a leader. But in a non-military use, it is a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. He says 
They have not submitted to the righteousness of God. There, there needs to be, by the Holy Ghost, a giving up. The most spiritual day of your life is when you've done all you can do and gone as far as you can go and you're ready to quit. But the question is, are you going to quit on God or quit on your ability to do it? And God knows that when he brings you to that place, he's taking the chance that you'll quit on him rather than quitting on your human ability to do righteous, which can't work. He knows that's the risk he's taking. But it is so absolutely necessary for you to reach the place in spiritual immaturity that God can use you and you won't take the glory because if I'm trying to be righteous by doing right, if God uses me, I'm going to take the credit. That's the way flesh operates. I remember the day, the first time that happened. I give up, God. I can't do anymore. I'm done. And I thought he was going to say, that's it. You're out of here. He said, finally. What do you mean, finally? Finally. Because you, in your frustration, have tried to earn from me all these years. That's what I was taught. That's what was modeled to me. That's what I heard. That's what I thought I was supposed to be doing because I had pastor after pastor teach that to me. They were doing the best they could. They were only teaching me what they'd been taught. But let me tell you something. Somewhere in that process, I came to the conclusion by God's revelation, I can't do this. Everything... (laughs) I I got a revelation for you. Everything God requires of you is impossible. Literally. Everything God expects of you is impossible. It was planned to be impossible for flesh to do. It is impossible for flesh to do it. And if nothing else happened tonight, but some of you be accelerated along in the process of receiving the revelation that it's impossible for you to do this, that only by complete surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and learning how to let Him do this through you, can you possibly ever please Him? Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Doing right is not the source of righteousness. I've skipped down. You can find me there. Righteousness is the source of the ability to do right. I can only be made righteous by justification. I will never be righteous because I do right. Sanctification is the only source of holiness. I am not holy because I'm separated. I am separated as a result of becoming holy through sanctification. Justification is the process. Just justified justification is the process. The result is right, righteousness, right, right, righteous, and righteousness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20 says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 20, verse 23. That was 23. Here's 24. And that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and... I want to hear you all say it. 
That adjective true means there's a false. And the false is where separation is given the priority over what's taking place in here. Why? Why? Because true separation can only be a product of sanctification that produces righteousness in here as the foundation. Because when I'm righteous, I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm not trying to earn God's acceptance. I'm not trying to earn God's honor, God's reward. I'm not trying to earn anything. I'm receiving everything He's giving as a gift. Oh, I can't tell you how critical that is to everything having to do with true Christianity. I can earn nothing from God. Did you get yourself here? I don't mean this building. I mean this life. Were you someplace outside of this life and prayed to God to get you here? Did you promise God all kind of things you were going to be and do if He just let you be born? Where does your next breath come from? I can prove it doesn't come from you. Hold your breath. Make up your mind you're not going to breathe again. See how that works for you. There are a few human beings, and I think they're weird, that can hold their breath two minutes or longer. You ever tried to? In flight training, (laughs) I had to jump from a 30-foot tower in the water and stay submerged and swim the length of the pool underwater. This was all practicing in case you had to abandon ship from a carrier and and and, and oil was on the water and it was aflame. So you jump off the flight deck into the water, you stay submerged and swim till you can't see any flames above you. And to practice that, you do it in a 50-yard long pool. In clothes. No shoes. Thank God for that. Small blessing. And let me tell you something. You don't reach the end of that pool underwater. They'll give you another shot or two. And if you don't eventually do that, they kick you out of the program. You'll never be a pilot. you kidding. What does that have to do with flying? I don't know. That's their rules. That's the way they went. So you try to go without breathing and tell me who's in charge of your breathing. I'm weird. I know I'm weird. I've always been weird. But I, I love my watch. I, 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 I can get my, my heartbeat up here. And uh, sometimes I just see how low I can get it to go. It records it, uh, my resting heart, my sleeping heart rate's 52. Some of you young folks would love to have that, wouldn't you? My resting heart rate is right around 60. My active heart rate's about 70, 72. You know how hard it is for me to get my heart rate up to what you're supposed to be doing, exercising? My blood pressure is about 115 over 64, and I don't take medicine. I love this. I can, I, I can play with it. You know, I remember I was having some pain in the chest. and They couldn't do anything about it. So I got to fly in a helicopter from Anne Arundel. This was years ago. 
I got to fly in a helicopter all the way to Washington Hospital Center, and they were going to do me, they did an emergency heart cath because all of that, I had so much nitroglycerin in me trying to stop that pain that if you'd have shaken me wrong, I'd have blown up. So back then, for 24 hours after they cut you open here and they put that thing up in there and check you out, you got to lay flat. They wouldn't even turn on the TV. I didn't have anything else to do but lay there and see how still I could get and how far down I could get my heart rate and see if they could would come running into the room if I got it low enough. The best I did was 42. That's the best. I, I, I had 24 hours to practice, and I did. But you know something? I'm not the one in control of that. You know, the greatest delusion in this life is that you or I are in control of anything. We're in control of nothing. But we don't give up trying, do we? I've had, I've had people say, well, I don't trust God anymore. He's let me down. Oh, really? Who do you trust? I only trust myself. Oh, so you've never let yourself down? Nobody in this world has let you down more than you. I'm gonna give up, I'm gonna give up on God. I can't trust God because He's let me down, but I'm gonna trust me and I'm, it's my habit to let me down. It's my lifestyle to let me down. Oh, praise God. I gotta go on here. So, <laughs> Galatians 2.20 says this. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And everything you're trying to do through your own strength is telling Christ, you didn't need to die for me. I got this. Everything that you're trying to do for God, live for God, work for God, is you telling God, I didn't need you to die for me. I got this. I got this. I do not frustrate the grace of God, the scripture says. I do not frustrate the grace of God. I do not frustrate the grace of God. Now, I got a role, and this is stuff I would love to have time to teach a lot of. But there are, there is a, a, let me read this way. The righteousness of God, or living in right relationship with God, has three primary steps of progression. Three. Rest. Peace and contentment. You don't have all those at the same time. You have to start, you have to get the first one to get the second one. And once you get the second one, you can only, you can only have the third one when you get the second one. Those are progressive. Those are not simultaneous. Okay. So, Matthew eleven twenty five. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me. (laughs) Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are you still coming to church to try to be saved? I don't come to church to be saved. I come to church because I am saved. Do I need to assemble with the body of Christ? Yes, I do. The book says, forsake not the assembly yourself together. Hebrews 10, 25 is the manner of some is and so much more so as you see the approaching. Are we supposed to do that? Yes. But I don't come because it's a law. And I've got to keep this law so I can be saved. Because let me tell you something. I surrendered to God. He sent me to the Naval Academy. He knew there was no place I could go to church that believed what this church believed. 1964. I spent four years there with no church, no pastor. I fellowship with whoever I could fellowship with, no matter what they believed, because it was better to fellowship with somebody who believed something than fellowship with people who didn't believe anything. He sent me someplace where there was no church I could go to. And you know what I found out immediately? I found that I, my relationship wasn't with God. It was with the church. And when he took the ability to go to church away, I didn't have a relationship with God. I'm saying it again. Are we supposed to come together? Yes. 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 You can't find it in the Bible where it's okay with God for you not to assemble with the body. But you don't do that to earn salvation. So who am I supposed to get? What am I supposed to? How am I supposed to get help? (laughs) So when you come together and everybody's sitting around you and somebody's up talking or singing or whatever, you, you got the opportunity. He said, come unto what? Who? That's why he said, if two, if, if two or three of you gather together in my name, where am I? He didn't say I'm in them. He said I'm in the midst of them. Why? Because when we come together, the focus is not on what's in us or who's in us, but the focus is on who's in the midst of us. Because when we come together, you now have an opportunity to connect or reconnect or fix the connection with the one who's hopefully manifesting himself in the gathering. That's the purpose. And so, what an opportunity. You come in and life has not been easy. You've been trying hard and it's not going well. And you sit there and instead of checking out or putting your arms across your chest and going, dare me, I'm daring you. No. You sit there and go, I can't do this. I need you, Jesus. I can't do this. Forgive me for trying again to do it myself. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. 
What do I have to do to let you fix this connection? What is it in me that's broken this connection? What is it in me that's, that's caused me to forget all you've said to me? And I start trying again instead of trusting you. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Hmm. The Amplified says it this way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief, and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable and gracious and pleasant, and my burden is light, easy to be borne. We says it this way. Come here to me. All you who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion and who have been loaded with burdens and are bending beneath their weight, and I alone will cause you to cease from your labor and take away your burdens and thus refresh you uh, with rest. Take at once my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find cessation from labor and refreshment for your souls for my yoke is mild and pleasant and my load is light in weight. I've heard it said this way. Well, I'm not going to say that. No, I'm going. Okay. The word labor here is to grow weary, tired, or exhausted from toil or burdens or grief. To labor with wearisome effort to toil. Used of bodily labor. The word heavily laid means to place a burden upon. Metaphorically, it means to load one with a burden of rights, R-I-T-E-S, and unwarranted precepts. A couple of scholars I've read after say this word actually means those that are heavily exhausted from the expectations of religion. And you're either going to quit religion or let God work those expectations out in you through his own strength and power. One way you're going to be lost. The other way you're going to be saved. Because bottom line, when you and I stand before that throne, we're going to cast our crowns at his feet. And acknowledge we did not get ourselves here. We did not get ourselves here. If the righteous scarcely be saved. Where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Heaven is not going to hold the parade. For me to get there. Because my seat in the main float is waiting. The the word rest here means this. To cause or permit one to cease from any labor or movement so as to recover strength. It implies previous toil and care. Its chief significance is that of taking or causing to take rest. It is a cessation of labor. When he said, come unto me all ye that uh, labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. You come to me and I'm going to stop all this foolishness. All this of your human effort to be righteous. All of your human effort to keep my do's and don'ts. I'm going to stop that. That's the first thing that's got to happen. You've got to give that up to me. You've got to admit you can't do this yourself. You've got to confess that. 
You've got to surrender to the fact you cannot do this. Come unto me all you labor heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. The word learn there. It is the root word for the word disciple. You look up the word disciple. You'll find the root word is the word learned that Jesus used. And what is it I'm going to learn of him? Take my yoke upon you. Get in this, in this connected relationship with me. Not out front doing something for me and turning and saying, How am I doing, Jesus? I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? Why don't you brag on me a little bit? Why don't you tell everybody how good I'm doing? No, no, no. Get in the yoke with me. And in that yoke relationship, you're going to learn about me. You're going to become a disciple only in a yoke relationship. It is not possible to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ while you're still trying to be righteous by doing right. Because you don't know anything about him if you do. You know nothing about him if you're trying to be righteous by doing right. You don't know anything about Jesus. You don't know anything about the plan of salvation. That's hyperbole, brother. I know something, really. Well, then put it this way. You don't know near enough. If you think you can do this, you can figure out a way to do this, you need to read the Bible more and listen to it. Because hear me. You are driving yourself crazy, weary, 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 exhausted, exhausted from the effort. But I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be lost either. That's why I quit. Because by the grace of God, I realized I can't do this. And I had to quit so that he could do it through me because the only way I could meet his expectations was for him to empower me to do it and him to do it through me. That's the only way I could meet the expectations. I cannot save myself. You cannot save yourself. He said, you'll find rest. And the second word rest is a different Greek word than the previous word rest. The word rest in verse 28 is not the word rest in the Greek in verse 29. The first word means cessation of all labor. But the second word rest means rest in your labor. The one first one is rest from all labor. The second Greek word is rest in your labor. How can I have rest in my neighbor, my, my labor? Because I'm not doing the laboring. I am just the conduit. I'm standing before you as an example of this because I am 73 and a half. I'm not old. I'm not without energy. I'm not barely making it. Why? Because I'm so this, that, or the other? No. You are watching the Lord's strength and energy demonstrated. How do you go like that? I don't. I don't. I have learned to be learned in the sense that he taught me to be a conduit. And all the energy is his. It's his. It's not mine. It's his. I I used to understand how preachers could get burned out. Now I don't have a clue how in the world a preacher could get possibly get burned out. Because the only way a preacher can get burned out is if they're doing it with their own energy. 
plan, their effort, their energy, trying to make it work. Make I gotta make this work. I gotta make this work. When you're the conduit, energy's not yours. Plan's not yours. Effort's not yours. Whether or not it works is not on you. It's on the one that's flowing through you. It's him. Now, the problem is, of course, there's folks sitting here who've heard this over and over again. You still haven't done anything about it. That's your, that's your choice. So rest is the initial spiritual atmosphere of becoming a disciple. No one can truly become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ without first entering into his rest by abiding in him. But how do I get there? I labor into his rest. So I'm skipping down, please, to Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm uh, reading verse 9. 9, 10, 11. For if, Je- if there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest has also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I wish I could read all that to you, Hebrews 3 and 4. It's got some really important stuff in it. But here's the problem. This sounds like doublespeak, doesn't it? I'm supposed to labor to rest? No, here's the problem. The Greek word there means this, as soon as I find it. The word labor there means to use speed, to make effort be prompt or earnest, to hasten, make haste, to exert oneself and endeavor to give diligence. In other words, it should be a conscious forethought of my day. I can't do this myself. You can believe what you want to believe. But every morning I wake up to some degree or other, whether it's a few minutes or a couple of hours, the very first part of that beginning of my day, I am confessing things over again that I've confessed many times before. I am not mine. I belong to you. I don't. Wherever you're going, I'm going. Whatever you're doing, I'm doing. I want to be a part of your your kingdom, a part of your plan, a part of your life, a part of you. So therefore, Father, I receive your grace today because without you I can do nothing. Your grace alone is capable of enabling me to do what I cannot do myself because it is God which worketh in you, Philippians 2.13, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I confess that. I speak those things because my fleshly man needs to hear my mouth speak those things because faith comes out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Whatever's in here, I'm going to speak it. And that's what I'm speaking. And I'm not speaking for anybody else to hear. I want this old man to hear. You don't belong to you. We've already settled this. I cannot do this, Lord. Every day, to some degree or other, as I feel in the spirit, the necessity, to re-refresh my mind, my heart, my spirit, my life, this humanity. We've been there, done that. This doesn't work. We're not going back to that. Peace. That's the next step. You cannot have peace without rest. Because, remember what I read to you again? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11. Uh, 
No, verse 10, for he that has entered into his rest has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. The word rest in verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. That's the word, that word there is Sabbath. It's a rest. What is the rest? It's rest from myself. It's rest from this flesh. It is rest from all the pressure of the expectations that this world or people or myself would want to put on me. Been there, done that, doesn't work. I cannot do this myself. I cannot do this myself. You cannot do this yourself. And I've preached this many times, taught this. We are, and, and, and it's so ingrained in me, I catch myself saying it even though I don't even believe it. The, the Pentecostal preposition for, we live for God, we work for God. Slight problem, he's not accepting any of it. I'm not being unkind. I'm telling you the unvarnished truth. God does not accept your offerings, Cain. All the way back from the first man that brought an offering to God that he produced by the sweat of his own brow, God has consistently rejected that offering. Well, I tell you what, there's people that if they could shut me up physically, they would because they don't want to hear this. So they they tuned it out because the man that's working to do it himself always hates and would like to eliminate the voice of the one who's simply relying on the blood. Cain did not cause that ram and that you to come together to produce that lamb. He did, or Abel, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't cause that, that lamb to grow in that womb of that mother. He didn't cause that baby to be born healthy. So when he brought that offering to God, he brought something to God that God produced. So only God got the glory for the offering. And God accepted that offering. But the offering that Cain brought, God rejected. God rejected it. I started preaching like this. In Antioch in January 1990, we had great revival. In five months, 15 senior leadership couples left. That's the truth for God. Some of the people that were most critical to get Antioch from where it was in 1970 to where it was in 1990 left. You know why? Because they felt like I devalued all of their efforts. I'm sorry about that. It wasn't me devaluing him. The Lord rejected Cain's offering. The Lord rejected Cain's offering. I didn't reject Cain's offering. The Lord rejected Cain's offering. The Lord rejects Cain's offering. Whatever Cain produces by the sweat of his brow, God rejects. Every time, every time, always has, always will. He's going to do that. Well, there's no hope for me. No, the point is God gave Cain an opportunity to repent he said if you had done well you would have been accepted well what is doing well bring me the sacrifice I've produced and give it to me to prove you're not taking ownership of it 
You're only the shepherd. You're not the owner. Then, of course, peace. Until you cease laboring, you'll never have real peace. You'll never have it. And peace is the most wonderful thing I can possibly imagine. Peace is just amazing beyond comprehension. Peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. I do not apologize for the time. I don't. This year, this is only my third time, and I've only got one more shot at it. Okay? God gave me this. It's okay if you want to sleep through it. It's all right if you want to leave. That's okay too. I've got to get this spoken so that at least the hungry have an opportunity to have something to take some time and listen to. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Psalms chapter, or Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you. That in me you might have peace. In the world you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Psalms 119, 165. Great peace. Have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Young's little translation says, Abundant peace have those loving thy law, and they have no stumbling block. Amplified says, Great peace have those they who love thy, your law, nothing shall offend them or make them stumble. The Bible of basic English says, Great peace have lovers of your law, they have no cause for falling. But here's the deal. You can't have peace unless you're pursuing peace. First Peter 3.11 Peter said, Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And the King James there is ensue, but the Greek word is literally pursue. Seek and pursue. Those two Greek words are different. The first one means the degree to which you will determine inside you're going to have peace. And then... The lengths to which you will go to have that peace you've determined to have. So when he said we should seek peace and pursue it. He said first of all there needs to be a resolve in me. I'm going to have peace. Whatever it costs this humanity. I'm going to have peace. And then once you've made that determination. You pursue it. Well how do you pursue it? I've preached and taught this many times haven't I? Casting all your cares upon him. For he cares from you. I've taught this over and over and over again. And I know there are only a small number of people in this room. Who literally honestly cast all their cares every day on Jesus. You know what that means? It simply means you're not dead yet. Because when I finally was crucified with Christ. My life changed. August the 1st, 2003. In Attleboro, Massachusetts, in a little church there, at the altar area, right up against where the altar ended at the wall, I was right there by myself about 9.30 or 10 o'clock on uh, the night of August the 1st, Friday night, August the 1st, 2003. I finally gave up complete control once and for all. And I have lived the life of casting my cares every day since then. 
I have not asked one thing for myself. In fact, I haven't asked one thing for anything. I cast it. Now, there's no way to talk about this without you thinking I'm taking the credit. I'm taking the credit for nothing. But when we left here a couple of weeks ago to go out of the country, that hurricane was on the other side of the Bahamas. Well, I am a bishop, and I'm not just a bishop here in Maryland, D.C., but there are people all over this country and some places in the world where I'm the, I'm the bishop. And I have responsibility. And it just so happens that God has given me the responsibility for some churches in southern Florida, in northeast Florida, and in uh, South Carolina. And there's some others along there that consider me their bishop even though we've never agreed on that. And so these people are all right on the coast. And this hurricane's bad. And the Lord said, stop it. Okay? So for two weeks, I took authority over it and bound it from being able to touch the coast of, east coast of the United States within the areas of my jurisdiction. Somebody tell me the only place that hurricane touched the United States, the eye of it, the last tip of North Carolina which was about 150 miles north of the last place I was responsible for. Are you taking? I'm not taking any credit. I'm telling you the Lord gave me words to say I spoke them. Has anybody noticed the turn this tropical depression has just taken? Do you see where they were telling it was going to come just a few days ago? It was going to head right to Florida. Where's it going now? Now they're forecasting it not even come close to the coast of Florida. It's going to turn and go right. You say, why didn't you pray for Bahamas? Because it wasn't my authority to do so. And I didn't have a word to do so. Bottom line is, if you rest in Christ, cast all your cares on Him, you have the same authority. He's just not going to trust you with authority that you use for yourself. And until you die to you. You will use authority for you. Uh, praise God. What is the problem? The problem. The reason some people have. They don't have peace. Is that they have too much. Self-sufficiency. According to Nelson, the Illustrated Bible Dictionary, the word self-sufficiency in a spiritual context means the capability of providing for oneself without the help of others. In the view of the Bible, a sinner is a self-sufficient person who declares his independence of God and boasts of his own accomplishments. John, uh, Job chapter 20, verse 22, In the fullness of his sufficiency, he s- shall be in straits, and every hand of the wicked shall come upon him. New King James Version says, In his self-sufficiency he will be in distress, and every hand of misery will come against him. You say, that's terrible. I thought God is a God of love. He is a God of love. And the most important thing to him is to save you. And whatever he has to let happen in your life here to get your attention so that you will let him save you, bring it on, Jesus. 
He has not promised you comfort. He has not promised you ease. He has not promised you a pain-free, pressure-free, problem-free life. Do you know how many people want to have a miracle without a test of faith? There is no such thing as receiving a miracle from God without your faith being tested before, during, and after it. Brother Ralph McIntyre, who's now 96 years old, was the founder of our district. When he got saved, he just got out of the Navy, got saved downtown Baltimore in a little independent church. And uh, he was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And they wanted to do all kind of stuff to him, but God spoke to him. And a man of God, a prophet of God was there in that church and prophesied to him after he got saved about this. And, and he believed God. And the man of God spoke against that cancer and said it was gone. He quit going to the doctor. He didn't have anything to do with it because that's what the Lord told him to do. You don't do that unless that, that's what God says. For two years, he suffered with the pain of his stomach after God said he was healed. Two years! Until finally one day, it just stopped. And he's now 96. And he's never had any kind of surgery on his stomach. You think you're going to get a miracle from God without a fight of faith before, during, and after? You think that's going to happen? (laughs) Oh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Do you understand there are some things God doesn't let you have? Then puts a desire in you to have them? And the only way you can have them is a miracle? Why would he do that to me? To get you to pray. To get you to believe him. Well, I'd like to have a wife. I'd like to have a husband. And whenever God wants me to have one, I guess I'll just have one. Well, you just have one. Because November, I will have been married 51 years. And I started praying for her when I got the Holy Ghost at 12. Well, I had a word from God. What did you do with that word? Did you confess it? Did you claim it? Did you doubt it? Did you say, okay, God, let's see if you're going to do it. And sit back with your arms folded spiritually? Why does God give us a promise? If, well, why didn't He just do it? Why does He have to give me a promise? What good would that do you? What good would it do you for God to just give it to you instead of giving you a promise? Because your faith can't grow unless you have to use it. Your faith can't grow without using it. Your faith can't grow without using it. And whatever you're going to use, it only's got to mean enough to you that you're willing to fight that fight of faith until it happens. Peace is dying to self-sufficiency. That's what it is. It's just dying. Because peace is casting all my cares. And what does that mean? Peace is giving up control and no longer telling God what to do. Well, we can ask anything. Yeah, yeah. You can ask anything to you outgrow that spiritually. 
only thing I want to, I don't want to ask for anything. When he tells me what he wants to do, I'm going to fight for that. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to believe that. Because he said it. Why? Because here we go. I'm winding up. Won't take me but another 45 minutes probably. Some of you are really sure that's going to be the problem. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what men will, shall do unto me. Listen to this. We word studies of the New Testament says, the word content here in the Greek, therefore, uh, is a quote of a Hebrew passage that means more than satisfied. It refers to the ability of the Christian dependent upon the Spirit to be independent of outward circumstances. The words such things as ye have are the translation, uh, and he gives the Greek words literally that mean the things which are present around one, namely one's circumstances. Oh, Jesus. When Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be what? You don't seek for additions. God initiates the additions. You seek for the kingdom and his righteousness. Those are the, that's the focus of your seeking every day. I want to be a part of the kingdom. I want to be a conduit for the kingdom. And I want a right relationship with God in every area. Receive righteousness as a gift. To walk in, in rest by get, ceasing my labors. To cast all my cares and have peace. And to now reach a place of contentment. And you know what the word contentment needs? It's okay. Like it is. I don't like that. I know. I know we don't. That's why this is the last level. Because additions are only initiated by him. Not by us. Whatever God is giving, I'm receiving. Whatever he's not giving... I do not want. God is only giving if he initiates. Otherwise, he is responding to us rather than us responding to him. It is not God giving it if I initiate it. It's not God giving it. And I can get from God. By initiating it. But 99.9999999999999 times out of 100. When you get what God didn't initiate, you're going to be getting something you don't need. And that thing is going to become a trial to you. It will become not a, the only way it will be a blessing is it will be a trial to you. Because you initiated it. Because if I'm seeking the kingdom and seeking his righteousness, whatever I need, 
He will supply. He will initiate it and give me the additions. Because when you read Matthew chapter 6.33 in the context, oh, Jesus, help me. I'm sorry, you've got to go back to those scriptures. Here it is, Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today is in the marge, cast in the other, shall he not much more clothe you, O little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek fatherless people, people without the fatherhood of God operating in their life. They have to pursue this stuff from God because they don't have a relationship with the Father. Read it. He said, I don't have to ask Him for clothes to wear, food to eat, someplace to lay my head. Why? For your heavenly Father knoweth you have need of these things. I don't have to ask for that. I don't have to fret over it. Live all tore up inside. Eat tums like they were candy. Because I'm all tore up inside. I'm under all kind of stress inside. Are you kidding me? You don't have to stress over what God is giving. You stress over what you're trying to talk Him into giving that wasn't his will, it was yours. This is the ultimate right here. This is true discipleship right here. This is mature discipleship right here. When you get to the place, you can be content with such as you have. If God wants you to have a new house, you keep casting and he won't let you have peace over it. That's how I know. When God's ready to do something, I keep casting. And when I cast, it leaves my mind, leaves my spirit. I got peace, I'm fine. But if I cast and I cast and I cast and I mean it, I'm giving it to him. But he keeps bringing it back to me and I keep casting, keep casting. And he keeps, oh, say, okay, okay. Now I'm going to cast this again. But if you're giving, do not let me through unbelief refuse to receive whatever you're giving, even if I don't want it. Even if I don't need it to me, I don't need it, but you're giving it. I'm taking whatever he's giving. I'm not rejecting what he's giving. I'm taking anything and everything he's given. Whether I want it, wherever, whether I even, even if I never knew I always wanted that. I'm taking it. Because he's given it. But I don't want anything that I'm initiating. Because let me tell you something right now. Let me tell you something about God. You can press him to give you something. It is not his will until he gives it to you and it will be a curse on you. And now the only thing you'll be able to pray is, oh God, somehow let me be saved in this mess I've created. Somehow let me be saved in this mess I created. Because I didn't want to hear from you and I didn't want to, I didn't want to surrender to you and find out the will of God. I didn't want to find out your will. I had my will. I wanted it. I wanted it my way. And you let me have it because you hear me right now. You press him hard enough. You can quote the scriptures that you said I could ask. You quote that at him. He'll keep his word. Just keep pressing. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. Just keep pressing. How do you know you're pressing? You don't have any peace. Because once you find out God's given, you got peace. You got peace. 
But if you want something, and all of a sudden you don't have time to pray, and you don't have time for the lost because you've got to work and do whatever to try to pay the bills you've created because you lusted after something he wasn't given. And let me tell you something about God. Just because he gives it to one doesn't mean he has to give it to you. You know why? Some people can go to heaven without it. And some people need it to go to heaven. And some people, if they get it, will not go to heaven that would have gone to heaven without it. And some people would not go to heaven without it that God gave it because they needed it. He said they needed it. It was his addition. But when you've got to manipulate that and you covet all that, you press, you, try, you make it happen. Let me tell you something, okay? You can believe what you want to believe. There's folks around here, been around here long enough, knows that's true. I want something bad enough, I can make it happen. Been there, done that too many times. If I want it bad enough, I can make it happen. And let me tell you something. I learned the hard way how absolutely terrible that was. Oh, God, deliver me from this mess I made. You ever pray that prayer? I have. He took his sweet time doing it. He absolutely took his sweet time getting me out of the mess I got myself into. There's an individual somewhere in the Western Hemisphere that I am their bishop. And I was involved with their life. And ministering to them, not in this church, never never been a part of this church. And uh, boy, my wife and I tried to save that marriage. We did everything we could. She was, they couldn't have children. And she blamed him for it. She physically would beat him because she was so angry with him because he wouldn't give her children. We did everything we could. I said to him one day, man. How did you get into this? He said, I don't even want to tell you. What happened? He said, even my sinner dad told me, son, I'm not trying to run your life, but you're going to regret if you marry this woman. You're going to regret it. He said, my mother, who's a prayer warrior, told me, son, please, please don't do this to yourself. But he said, I felt obligated, and I went through with it when his mom and his dad, a sinner and a saint, and his pastor said to him, you're going to regret this, and oh, did he pay a price. Did he ever more pay a price? Now, God eventually got him out of it. God got him out of it. He didn't get himself out of it. God got him out of it. But did he ever more suffer? Or going against the will of God. Let me tell you something, my friend. <laughs> the strength in life. Let me read it. Just put it on the screen so I can read it. First, uh, Philippians, I don't know where it is in the list. Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, 9, I think it is. I'll read them real quickly from the screen. Uh, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you next verse 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, learned. I didn't know this by osmosis. I learned it. I learned it through experience. In whatsoever state I am or situation or condition I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry at the same time. Both to abound and to suffer need. And here's one of the most misquoted verses in the entire Bible. The context of this verse is the strength of God enables you to do what was just said. I can do all things which through Christ which strengtheneth me. The only way I can be content in whatever state I'm in is through Christ's strength. The only way I can be both full and empty at the same time is through Christ's strength. The only way I can abound and suffer one at the same time is through Christ's strength. And the peace, the rest, the rest, the peace, the contentment, it's just absolutely amazing. And it's available for everybody in this room. The Lord has provided it to you. The foundation of it all is righteousness. Upon which is built true holiness. And to have true holiness. You have given up all your labor. You've entered into rest. You've cast all your cares. You seek peace. Give up control of your life. And your circumstances. And you've received the strength of God to be content in whatever situation you're in. And if he wants it changed, he will give you a word to believe to change it. Because your circumstance can only be changed by faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you don't have a word, you don't have faith. So therefore, you walk in peace and abide in peace in whatever state you're in. Until a word of faith comes for you to pray for it to change. And then I'm not asking. I'm speaking. I'm speaking the word of faith that was given to me to change. Because it's not faith to ask. It's faith to speak rhema. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13 on the screen please. I'm done. I'm quitting here. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe, therefore we speak. If you have a word of faith, you will not keep it internal. It is not faith, the, the, the faith is not complete till you hear what Ramah says. And then you test that rhema against the word of God. You try that spirit. And once you confirm that the logos of God confirms that that rhema is of God, then you speak that rhema and you keep speaking it. You don't beg. You don't ask. You speak. That's how faith operates. But it doesn't, it doesn't work real easy for those who have, are not walking in his righteousness, who are not living in true holiness, who have not stopped 
their own labors and entered into his rest who am not casting all of their cares and receive peace and who are not allowing the Spirit of God to empower them and, and give them strength to be content. That's why if you ask me how long I pray each day, I'm never going to give you that answer. I will give you a bare minimum. Why? Because when you walk in this situation, unless you have stepped out of that connection, your spirit and God are communicating all day long, consciously and subconsciously, all day long. You're walking in the spirit. You're living in the spirit. You're walking in the spirit. You're living in the spirit. Now, this is not going to shock you, but this particular subject is going to be a 20-part series that I'm doing in the video studio. So what I've done here to, tonight is nothing but sow seed because I don't know how quickly I'll get that done for those that are hungry. I don't even know if I'll be able to start on it within the next three weeks. That's the hope. Because this is something the Lord's trying to say right now. We spend so much time on the brand new people that we don't grow those that are at the top of the, of the, the leadership structure that will provide room for everybody else to grow. The most senior people are the ones that need to be growing the most. Not, not people coming in and growing quickly and then plateauing. We have way too many good people that have come in and plateaued because our focus has been on just getting them in and getting them established so they can somehow survive. But we don't teach them to flourish. If you go to Second Peter chapter 1 and see that sequence of events of the things that should be added, add this to this, then add this to that. And, then, and you, once you've added all those things, the Lord said, once you've, these things have all been added, you won't stumble, you won't fall. We have too many people that are constantly stumbling and falling because we only get the new convert stuff done. We're not teaching and training at the top of the chart. Therefore, there's no examples or very few examples of people really living this. There's just a bunch of plateaued people that are doing the best they can with all of this effort they're giving just but they're living with no rest because they're frustrated. They have no peace because they're still trying to control what they think God wants them to do to make stuff happen. And they have no contentment in the situation they're in. So if they do pray, they badger God to fix it. And when they pray and he doesn't fix it, then they give up on prayer because he's not listening. But the most senior people are the ones that need to be growing the quickest and the most. The ones that need to be moving into this so that there are living examples for people to see. And the more of you that grow into that, the more there is to see. And some of you that have been around here forever, I love you so much, and I'm so thankful to God for you, but so many of you have plateaued a long time ago. And you think to yourself, what more is there? <laughs> what more is there? There's far more for you than you've received. You've only got enough to just get to where you are. You have not gotten in. The good thing about rest and peace and contentment 
is you can always see that grow. Peter said, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Multiplied. Jesus gives a that addition in the book of Matthew, but in the epistles, he offered multiplication. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And you're plateaued? You think you've gone as far as you can go? If you think you've gone as far as you can go, trust me, you've barely gone any real distance at all. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not condemning. I'm trying to challenge you to not settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither is entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. Do you want to know what else there is? It's one thing to not have it. It's another thing to not want to know what it is. Because if I don't have it, if I find out there is so much more than I've got, then that's going to produce a hunger and thirst in me for more, more, more of Jesus. More, give him more of me, give him more of me, give him more, give him, give him more. More. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this word. If no one else in this place knows where this word came from, you and I do. And I give you the honor, the credit, the glory for it because I know that this did not come out of my intellect. This did not come out of my study skills. This is not produced by my ability to speak. But you have given this word because you desire to speak to your people because you want them to not settle. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Father. Bless us with hunger and thirst like we've never had before. Bless us with focus like we've never had before. Bless us with the grace to first die out to the deeds of this body and then die out to the members of this body and to finally die out to ourselves so that our lives can be hid with Christ and God so that you can work through us and we can be your conduits. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I lose grace, mercy, and peace from you, Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, upon each and every one of us here tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every person that is listening or will listen to this word, I loose the grace, mercy, and peace of God upon them. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I loose the blessing of God, the blessing of hunger and thirst, and the focus to seek first the kingdom of God, and the hunger to seek the righteousness of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the grace of God to be able to die out to ourselves by the Spirit, that you might take our lives and fully develop us into who you want us to be. That Christ may be formed in us. That the leaders of this church travail in birth again till Christ be formed in every person that they're responsible for overseeing. Let every leader in this church travail in birth again till those that they're leading would have Christ formed in them.
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the first travail that saw them saved. But now, Father, by your grace, give us the spirit of travail that will cause you to be formed in each and every one of us. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. I cannot, I am not allowed to apologize to you that I have gone... uh, Almost two hours or about two hours. I I cannot apologize for you for that. I have obeyed God here tonight. I am not apologizing for obeying God. But I am begging you for your sake. I am begging you for your sake. As soon as this is posted, would you at least start at work your way through it? I have a set of notes that I use tonight. I'm not opposed to letting you have them, even though they are very incomplete from the series that I'm putting together to do these these lessons from. I'm doing a, a very complete series on what it means to be a disciple, and there's many different elements of that. This 20 or so lessons from this particular lesson tonight is only a small portion of the entire series. Biblically, what does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? And in that series, of course, I'll be able to go into all the depth that I feel like going to and the Lord's given me to go through in each one of these elements.